Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Well, welcome to week three of our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, We began by talking about how love is the main fruit. Uh, It's the glue that holds all the other fruit together. And then last week we talked about joy and how the basis of joy is not so much on what we have achieved in life, but what we have received in Christ. And, And also just this recognition of how this thing called life is so fragile. And if we will embrace the fragility of life, we will then learn to appreciate this moment, this time. Um, and that will offer us joy. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about peace, uh, hence my shirt, Power to the Peaceful. Uh, that's right. I, 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 listen, I was, really, um, I was really struggling with this, with wearing this shirt today, because I have never preached in a t-shirt. <laughs> I've preached in flip-flops, and that went fine, so I thought, surely we can make the transition to preaching in, in a, a t-shirt. And, you know, we've always kind of been pretty casual here at Emmaus, but in seminary, uh, I had a professor tell me, and this is poor English, but it's, but it's uh, good advice. He says, if you look good, then you preach good. Uh, and so I've always tried to, like, at least have a button down, at least have a, have a collar, but here I am uh, today on the peace talk uh, with power to the peaceful shirt. Uh, well, I'm an Enneagram type nine, and if you've not heard of the Enneagram, it's a personal, it's a personality typing system, uh, sort of akin to the Myers-Briggs or the DISC profile. Uh, What sets the Enneagram apart, though, is that instead of four personality types, there are actually nine types. And the Enneagram talks about the interplay and connectedness between the nine types. And uh, and so kind of rather than saying, oh, you're this, uh, it kind of talks about the the fluidity of our lives and, and kind of recognizes that our lives can also be complex. Uh, Well, the Enneagram type nine is known as the peacemaker. And the main thing that nines are trying to do in their lives is avoid conflict. Uh, and this, this just resonates with me to the deepest core of my being. Uh, you can imagine how ministry has gone over the last few years, like over the last 14 years, right? Like, hey, if you never want to be in conflict, be a pastor. That'll work out great. Um, so, but, but nines work really, really hard to keep the world around them, as well as their inner world at peace. And while this often is, can be a really good thing and gives nines all sorts of like wonderful qualities of life, this also can be pretty dangerous. Uh, it means that nines can end up avoiding important things simply because they do not want to stir things up. Right? This, this, means that, this does not mean that nines don't have opinions, because we do. Uh, we often just don't share them because we want to avoid anything that like, our opinions might stir up. Uh, however, much of the time, though, for the nine, then peace is understood as the absence of conflict or upheaval. Uh, and, and so nines will often just sort of like say, I'm not going to say anything, I'm not going to do anything to stir the pot or cause upheaval, even if the thing that's happening isn't really great, at least everyone knows kind of what to expect. And so I'm not going to say anything just because I don't want to stir the pot. And when understood in this way, uh, nines will often decide to leave well enough alone, uh, even when that may not be the best thing. 
And so one lesson that nines need to learn, and I've been working really hard uh, to learn this over the last several years, one key lesson that nines need to learn is there's a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Uh, I learned this important difference uh, with some helpful commentary from a pastor and theologian named Eugene Cho. Uh, But he essentially says this, peacemaking is refusing to stir the pot in order to protect the status quo. That's peacekeeping. Refusing to, to kind of like mess anything up in order to protect the status quo. Things may not be perfect, but at least everyone pretty much understands how things are supposed to work. Peacemaking, on the other hand, seeks to bring things to wholeness and will stir the pot to do that when it's necessary. That's peacemaking. So there's an important difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. And so bringing things into wholeness means peace must be defined by the presence of something, not just by the absence of something. Are you staying with me? Uh, And so more than the absence of conflict or avoiding upheaval, we must actually seek to move toward something. And while this is often difficult and complicated and nuanced work, it is exactly the work to which Christians are called. Are you with me? You see, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Notice it doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers, those who just avoid upheaval and just kind of like protect the status quo, but it's blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God, which is to say, when we work for peace and when we work toward wholeness, we bear the family resemblance of God, amen? Now, in the scriptures, peace has all these dimensions and layers of meaning that when taken together, I think kind of begin to provide a little bit of flesh and bones of what it means when we talk about wholeness and the thing to which we are working toward. And so I want to do this morning kind of a quick survey of the New Testament to help us understand what is meant by peace. Because we could all, I could go up here and I could really motivate us toward peace and yay peace and power to the peaceful. But if we don't understand what peace is or how the ways in which scripture talks about peace Uh, then we'll all be really motivated, but we don't know what we're motivated toward. And so I want to just do a quick survey of the the New Testament, uh, which is to say we'll kind of have three key texts this morning instead of one. And I also want to remind us that we're using the Fruit of the Spirit series as an opportunity for discernment. So like how do we make sense of this kind of crazy world in which we live? Uh, And with so much noise and so many messages coming to us and coming at us, How do we find discernment in the midst of all of that? So we're kind of using this uh, series as a motivation for discernment. We're also using it as motivation for introspection. To kind of look at our own lives and begin to ask questions about ourselves. And so I encourage you, as we're kind of talking and as we're doing this survey, be thinking about your own life, but also be thinking about some of those articles that come across your news feed throughout the week. Some of the notifications you're getting, are they pointing us toward a biblical view of peace? Now, our first passage is found in Luke chapter 8, and I'll begin reading it kind of in the second part of verse 42, uh, and it says this, Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 42. Now, as he went, that is, the he here is Jesus, as Jesus went, the crowds pressed in on him, and now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. And though she had spent all that she had had on physicians, no one could cure her. 
She came up from behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And then Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone has touched me, for I noticed that the power has gone out of me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, and declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And then Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, one of the core concepts of peace that we really need to grasp and understand is that peace is is the process of making complete or making whole that which is complex and has many parts. Peace is the process of making whole or, or making complete that which is complex and has many parts. For example, in the Old Testament, there's one time where the word peace is used to, to uh, describe how people put a wall back together. So the wall is built of many bricks and, and all this kind of complex network of pieces. And then to bring peace to that wall is actually to repair it and to make it whole again. So there's no longer a hole through the wall, but it's incomplete now. And so this concept of peace is making complete that which is complex and has many parts. And this is certainly true of the human body, which has many complex parts, all of which are connected to one another. And after Jesus healing this woman, who had been sick for many years and had spent all that she had on doctors, had gone to the end of her resources, then Jesus brings Peace and healing to this woman and pronounces peace over her life after making her body whole again. Now put yourself in the woman's place. For 12 years she had been declared unclean by her community. And what this means is that she had therefore been removed from her family, been removed from her community, and removed from fellowship, and then forced to live outside of the city. And so for Christ to offer her healing was not simply to restore her body, but was was actually to restore her back into community and back into the fellowship that had cast her out. And so what I want us to see is that Jesus' invitation to go in peace is essentially an invitation to enter into a new, restored life. Amen. And so there's all sorts, there isn't just this idea of, I've healed your body, but rather he is bringing this woman who is experiencing not only Uh, injury to her body, but also injury to her soul through removement of community, and Jesus offers healing and wholeness into that brokenness by offering peace. It's also important to note here that uh, this lack of peace in the woman's life was of no fault of her own. This is not something that she deserved, but rather this is just how things were, right? It's just this sometimes happens and Jesus steps into that brokenness and offers her wholeness. And the point that I want to bring out of this story then is that in this way, peace is the righting of wrongs. Peace is the righting of wrongs. It's bringing wholeness to complex things that are broken. 
Doesn't our world need some peace right now? There are complex systems, and it is nuanced, and it is difficult. But oh, how we need the peace of God to bring wholeness to these systems. Now, the second thing I want to look at, the second passage is found in Luke chapter 7, uh, beginning with verse 36, reading through verse 50. Uh, a similar story here, but again, some nuance that I want to bring. Uh, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Uh, this is uh, Luke 7, beginning with verse 36. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. Uh, she stood at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe Jesus' feet with her tears and then to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing the feet of Jesus and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited Jesus said, saw this, he said to himself, uh, is this, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is and who is touching him. He would know that she is a sinner. Now Jesus spoke up and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. So Jesus said, a certain creditor has two debtors. One uh, owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one who has had the greater debt canceled. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house you gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from, this, from the time that I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. She has shown great love. To the one whom little is forgiven, loves little. But the one who has shown great love, loves greatly. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But to those who are around the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this that forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now what is clear from this story, both in the text and from the Pharisees, is that this woman is a sinner. Uh, the Pharisees are a little eager to point that out, but again, it's important to note that they aren't wrong about their judgments of this woman. Certainly, they're self-righteous, and they're quick to say, you know, if this man knew who she was, then he wouldn't, he wouldn't allow uh, himself to be touched by her, for she's a sinner, and there's a self-righteousness to that, but it's important to note that they're not wrong. Jesus knows this woman is a sinner as well. And yet, Jesus sees that the woman loves him and receives his forgiveness. And then after offering forgiveness, Jesus pronounces peace over her life. Peace, and I want you to hear this, peace is finding union with God through the forgiveness of sin. Peace is the righting of wrongs, but peace is also finding union with God through the forgiveness of sin. Because in the same way that our bodies can be fractured and broken because of disease or injury, so our souls can be fractured because of sin. 
Again, the Pharisees are happy to point out the sin of the woman and condemn her based on, and condemn her based on that sin. And isn't it true that we so often are just like the Pharisee, content to point out sin wherever we find it, but slow to see our own sin and ask forgiveness? In fact, I would say this, I believe that the church would do well to take a break from pointing out the sin of others and admit our own sin and repent. Not as many amens on that one. (laughs) You see, those who have been forgiven much will love much. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, offers wholeness of heart through forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't given enough thought in our lives. If you've grown up in the church, you might even take forgiveness for granted. Oh, yes, Jesus stuff forgives us, died on the cross, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get to the real meat of the thing, right? But I want us to see this. Forgiveness is when you no longer allow the offense to define the relationship. Forgiveness is when you no longer allow the pain that was caused to you or that was caused to define the relationship. That's forgiveness. And so that's really important when we think about God's forgiveness of us. Now, it's important for us when we think about our forgiveness of other people. It's so important. But let's for a moment just think about God's forgiveness of us. What this essentially means is that God does not relate to you on the basis of your sin, but God relates to you on the basis of his forgiveness. Amen. This is good news, right? And this is principally shown through Jesus on the cross where he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Living in terms of forgiveness, finding peace with one another ultimately means that we live with vulnerability. Living in terms of forgiveness and at peace with one another ultimately means that we also are living with vulnerability. That without, for, without the possibility of forgiveness, there can be no vulnerability because we'll, we'll always be on guard. Without the possibility of forgiveness, there will be no vulnerability because we'll always be on guard or on edge. And so I want to quickly point out our, our peace painting uh, this morning. In this depiction, uh, a woman is falling into water. Um, and it strikes me that falling is when we are the most vulnerable, right? When, the, 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 when you are falling, there is little or no control that you have to protect yourself or to change the outcome. That falling is essentially a picture of ultimate vulnerability. But also, falling into water is also safe, right? And and so when we have a picture of peace of a woman falling into water, perhaps this is a great visual picture of what it means to be at peace with God, that we can be completely vulnerable and with God and yet safe because of the forgiveness that we have received. Amen? And so I love this picture, this vulnerability and this depiction of peace. So peace 
is the righting of wrongs, and peace is the healing of our sin-fractured hearts through the gift of forgiveness. Now let's look quickly. This is three mini-sermons in one. So this is the third go-round here. Let's look quickly at Romans chapter 14, verses 17 through 19. This is Paul speaking. He says, For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The one who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and has human approval. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This is so key. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, just to get a sense of the context here in Romans chapter 14, Paul is dealing with food laws and what can be considered clean and unclean. And what he is, the, the, the kind of bottom line that he tries to, that he points out is that all food is clean and acceptable to eat unless you're, unless you're eating it causes your beloved in the faith to stumble. Maybe you've heard the famous passage of, of a stumbling block. This is just later on, a little bit past what we read this morning. And so Paul is, is talking to a group of Christians that are made up of both Jew and Gentile. And for the Jewish believers, there's, they have kosher laws and certain foods that are clean and unclean. But their Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ have been, also, have been eating the food that they had declared unclean. And they are wrestling with this. And they're just not sure what to do with it. And so the apostle Paul speaks into that. And he says, all food is acceptable for eating. And, and, uh, but, but, you know, if eating it, he says to the Gentile beloved in the faith. He says, you know, if, if you're eating it causes someone to stumble, then it's probably best to not eat that. But he also is essentially pointing out, let's not get lost in the weeds of these things, but realize that the kingdom of Christ is composed of righteousness, is composed of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So don't get lost in the rules, but realize the bigger things of the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Which is to say, and here's what I want you to catch and to understand, peace is a key marker of the kingdom of Christ, along with righteousness and joy. Peace is a key marker in the kingdom of Christ. As a church, we have defining marks, things that we say, these are the things that set us apart. And if the kingdom of God had defining marks, peace would be among them. Let that sink in. <laughs> Just let that soak over our souls in a world filled with hate and violence and so many things that can get us down. A defining mark of the kingdom of God is peace. Let's wrestle with this idea of the kingdom of God for a moment. I want to tread lightly here, but I also want to speak directly and forthrightly. Our vision of the kingdom of God is often too narrow and too small. You see, sometimes we mistakenly envision that the kingdom of God is found when we baptize national values and, and call them Christian values. 
sometimes we assume that the kingdom of God uses the same methods and tactics as a nation that has been called Christian. Sometimes we envision that the kingdom of God is lived out by following the particular laws of our country or the rules of our particular group. Let me provide some nuance here. It is certainly good to follow rules and recognize laws. There might even be times when the values of a country and the values of the kingdom overlap. But if we are exclusively thinking about the kingdom of God in these terms, then I would want to say to you kindly and prophetically, your vision of the kingdom is too small and too narrow. Because Paul's vision of the kingdom, at least here, he's saying don't get trapped in the weeds of this particular thing, but recognize that the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, is this an exhaustive list from the Apostle Paul that captures all the fullness of the kingdom of God? No, but it gives us uh, some wisdom that Paul is saying, let's not get caught up in this or that, but recognize the larger things of the kingdom. And so let's actually look at those three real quickly. The kingdom of God is found in righteousness. What you need to know about the word righteousness is that it is deeply and almost inextricably linked to the word and concept of justice. Because righteousness is being set right. So we say we have a righteousness that is ours in Christ. That means that through faith in Christ we have been set right. But also we can't, we can't so easily remove that from the larger picture of being set right that is found in the concept of justice. And so righteousness and justice are these two words that in the Greek share the same root and in English are almost inextricably linked. And so the kingdom of God is found in justice because it means the being set right. It is found in peace, which is being made whole or complete that which was broken. And the kingdom of God is found in joy. We talked about last week, a gratitude for the gift of life and all that I have received. And guess what? Justice and peace and joy have no national boundary and they have no organizational boundary. Which is to say, like, so let me say this. When we see these things, the Spirit of God is at work and the kingdom of God is at hand. When we see these things, the Spirit of God is at work and the kingdom of God is at hand. Yes, but, Pastor Andy, what if it is outside of the church? I say, okay. Might be an indictment against the church. <laughs> oh, but, 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 but. <laughs> it's found in this organization that has a doctrinal statement that I don't fully agree with. Okay. Because when peace and justice and joy are found, then the Holy Spirit is at work and the kingdom of God is at hand. So Paul is speaking to the church in Rome and essentially says, don't get caught up in all of this. Well, let's, let's first realize actually that Paul is speaking to the church in Rome. What is Rome famous for in history but being a really, really powerful empire? 
And so Paul is actually speaking to Christians who are trying to work out what it means to follow Christ and be Christian in the middle of an empire. Right? And he says, be sensitive to your beloved in the faith so that you don't cause them to stumble. That's true, that is honorable, that is good, and we should pay attention. Be sensitive to your brothers and sisters, your beloved in the faith, so you don't cause them to stumble. But other than that, don't get too caught up, for the kingdom of God is about, isn't about what you can and can't do. The kingdom of God is found in justice, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you help your church to hear this message? And so what are we to do with all of this? Well, let me remind us of what I said in the very beginning, which is this. Peace is the difficult, complicated, nuanced work to which the people of God have been called. Because Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And so when we embody these layers of peace, we we bear the family resemblance of God. And remember, again, the fruit of the Spirit is is, is not these things that we are striving for, but rather these things that are cultivated in us as we pursue God. And when we pursue God, then our lives will exhibit a commitment to peace in all of its forms. And it will also be a commitment to figure out peace in all of its nuance, which is to say there, might, there must be space and room for brothers and sisters in the faith to maybe have some good discussion about what peace looks like in the world, right? Like it's not just saying this is all just uniformity and you ought to think and see the world as I see it. But it is to say that as the people of God, we ought to have a commitment to peace in all of its layers and all of its nuances. And so may the Spirit of God work in us to help us keep peeling back the layers of peace for greater understanding. And I'll just remind us again as we close that we're using this for discernment in a really complicated and noisy world. And since we're in a political season, let's think about politics. 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 That's a new one, right? Uh, Let's think about politics for a minute. Uh, Let's think about politics. Do the politicians and policies that we support demonstrate peace in the fullness of the word? recognizing, of course, that there is no policy or politician that is perfect. And there must be room for grace as we talk with our brothers and sisters in the faith. But there is, and recognizing, of course, under the banner of Christian confession, that there is only one Prince of Peace, and there is only one Savior. So I don't care where you find yourself on the, on, the, on the kind of continuum politically. There's only one Prince of Peace and there is only one Savior, right? <laughs> this is not controversial for the Christian. And so it might be helpful to think about this in degrees. To what degree are the policies and politicians that I support helping to bring about peace? To what degree is this happening? So we're using it for discernment. But we're also using it for introspection, which is so important, probably more important than discernment. Like let's first be introspective and then do the hard work of discernment. 
And for our introspection, I only have one question. What if we all sat down and just asked ourselves the question, how much is my life bearing the family resemblance of God? How much does my life bear the family resemblance of the Prince of Peace? Who, upon his birth in a stable, the angels announced that this is good news for all people and peace for those on whom his favor rests. I think that's important work for us to do in terms of introspection and discernment. Well, let's say a word of prayer and then I'll lead us to the Lord's table today. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks today that at the birth of Jesus there came the living word of God and good news for all people and peace. And so God, we, as we think about the fruit of the Spirit and as, we, as Advent is right around the corner of which peace is a central theme, I pray God that you would give your church today clarity on what it means to be peacemakers. In a, in a country so divided, Lord, may your people find unity, not uniformity, but unity in a commitment to peace. And Lord, it would be great if we also had the fruit of joy in the midst of all this. And so God, as we pursue you, would you offer these things in abundance that we might be faithful witnesses in the world, in our workplaces, in relationship with one another. And dare I say it, your faithful witnesses on social media. <laughs> Lord, help us, we pray. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.